Welcome all into the Pigskin Podcast Network's edition of the Talking Tide Podcast. Glad to hear have you here with us once again here on Talking Tide. Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television with you, along with Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. Our Twitter feed at Talking Tide, of course, is Twitter uh, Talking underscore Tide. Stepping on my tongue already out of the gate here, Travis. It's a Sunday Our, night, man. That's a Sunday night. Yeah. Our sponsors, Peterbrook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, North River Dental Associates, and DraftKings. We'll tell you about them a little bit later in the program. You can get Talking Tide on YouTube. You can get it on Facebook. You can get live streams. You can get video replays. And, of course, you can get it on any app you choose for your podcasting preferences. Uh, the audio version, also on Megaphone.com. So, uh, as ZZ Top would say, Travis, we're nationwide here on Talking Tide. And talking about an Alabama win over Mississippi State, 49-9 to here on this Sunday night. A blowout win, probably the most complete win of the season for Alabama. Maybe the Miami game, certainly a possible exception. Uh, but a runaway from start to finish. Nick Saban now 19-9 and against Mississippi State, including his LSU years that would be a winning percentage of 950 Travis pretty solid yeah you know and outside of that loss in Starkville his first year on the job it's been what 14 in a row in the series for the Crimson Tide Dan Mullen thought he could escape some of that by going to Florida it hadn't exactly worked out that way for Denny but no an impressive performance Nick Saban said so himself after the game Saturday night that he felt like this was a 60-minute performance and as complete a football game as Alabama's played in all three phases this season. No doubt. Uh, I thought the offense was was solid, especially in the passing game. Running game was strong. Now they ran for, I think, 190 on about 45 carries, 191 maybe the actual number. Uh, so uh, the Roydell Williams-Brian Robinson combo was effective, but but Bryce Young, even more effective, 348 yards passing for him, four touchdowns. John Mechie kind of takes center stage really for the first time this season, seven catches, 117 yards. Jamison Williams did get his deep ball. He goes for a 75-yard a TD catch on the first play of the second half. John Mechie with a big block on that touchdown for Jamison Williams, but a big night for Mechie primarily. Yeah, I thought that was encouraging in terms of the big picture ceiling for this offense. It's hard to imagine this unit reaching its full potential without John Mechie mixing in some of these kind of performances. His first 100-yard game of the season and really got him involved early and he responded well with the Yards after catch, such a big thing Saturday night. Mechie sort of got that going with his 46-yard catch and run for a touchdown. You mentioned it with Jamison Williams, even Brian Robinson on his 51-yard touchdown reception. That was a quick swing out of the backfield, and off he goes. So a little bit different approach for the Alabama passing game this time around compared to a year ago. But you knew, we talked about this last week, you knew Zach Arnett, the Mississippi State, defensive coordinator was going to bring pressure. He likes to bring pressure regardless, but after what he saw from Texas A&M during a bye week, no less, a week ago Saturday night, uh, he figured it would be coming, and it was. And really, it was a blitz similar to what Alabama struggled with with a safety right up the A-gap 
that they made the adjustment. Mechie was hot. They hit it, and off he went to the races, and the offense um, was good. Third down, just phenomenal. 12 of 16. I think Bryce Young was 6 of 6 for 159 on third down. So if you're averaging 25 yards per com- uh, 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 per completion on thirds, you're probably going to be okay. I continue to see opportunities for us to claim the coaching staff is listening in here on Talking <laughs> Tide. Uh, uh, last week, we said, look, they got to start picking up the blitz faster. Uh, you just noted they were able to do that against Mississippi State. Uh, an A-gap blitz early. Bryce Young gets one off to Roydell Williams for a first down with about seven minutes left in the first half. That was one example. Beat another blitz on a swing pass to Trayshawn Holden, who probably had the best game of his career at Alabama. And uh, Brian Robinson's 51-yard TD catch, that was a blitz beater also. Yeah, it was. And even in the red zone, I wrote about this earlier in the week. I think we talked about it on the podcast. They get inside the five, go under center, unbalanced left, Robbie Utes at fullback, and mash it with the run game. And right between they, Kendall Randolph and Evan uh, Neal, yeah, which sounds familiar. Yes. <laughs> and I think Nick Saban, after the game Saturday night, said they actually took a timeout before that play and maybe changed what had been called. And so they, they went to that, and then they had another three-yard touchdown run by Brian Robinson there early in the fourth quarter with Oots in the game. It was more of a balanced formation, but again, to me, if you go unbalanced or strong left, which is what they really did, but with Randolph in the game, it is unbalanced uh, for the most part. Uh, and, and you take three or four cracks from the three or inside the five, you know, if a defense can stop that, good for them. But uh, they made good on those red zone trips Saturday night, whereas we'll get into with the Alabama defense. Uh, Alabama defensively did a pretty good job in that area of the field. Defensively, got to start with Will Anderson. Career night for him, four sacks for the Crimson Tide. He was all over Will Rogers. It was not pretty. Uh, no no answer for him. Uh, the, the offensive tackle, Lashley, former Alabama guy, Travis, yeah. <laughs> struggled with Will Anderson from start to finish. And they also did some good stuff on the TE game with the stunts. That was effective, and then they brought some pressure with that. So I thought they did a nice job of mixing it up. It wasn't just a three-man rush, but they brought some four-man, some five, uh, and it really caused problems for that state protection scheme. Brought some package defensive backs, Brian Branch a couple times. Uh, but Will Anderson, obviously the star of the night with the four sacks. Two of those came on intentional grounding calls by Will Rogers. So – You know, we talked about kind of with this Mike Leach offense, yards per attempt, and also how they go about incorporating the running back position into that. And between Jaquavius Marks and also uh, Dylan Johnson, state's top two backs, I think they had nine catches for 47 yards um, to go along with a very minimalistic approach to the run game. Those were some keys for Alabama. And you know, they pretty much took care of that. And, of course, the takeaways were huge. The two interceptions for Jordan Battle, Josh Job early uh, with a momentum builder for Alabama as a team there with the pick on the, the Crimson Tide sideline. Quick note on Will Anderson's four-sack night. Apparently not done at Alabama since 1988 when 
Derek Thomas accomplished the feat. So, you know, you're having a monster night when your name ends up with the in the same sentence as Derek Thomas as a pass rusher. Uh, but uh, you made note of, of the stunning and the pass rush and, and kind of the mixed looks that Alabama threw at Will Rogers. And I thought it made a difference on some of the turnovers as well. Uh, for the Josh Job interception on third and mm -hmm. 10, for instance, Will Anderson dropped into coverage on that play. They rushed four. Only one of them was a defensive lineman. Uh, that particular play when, when Josh Job got his pick, your four pass rushers were Malachi Moore, who came on a blitz from the backside, Henry Toa Toa, Dallas Turner, and Justin Aboibe. So third and long, they're not they they they're not going to send a lot of big people. It's it, they're going to be sending the little guys, Travis. Yeah, they just essentially played cover two on that, brought zone pressure, and uh, it fooled Will Rogers. There's no doubt about it. He thought he had one thing pre-snap. It ended up being something else. Nick Saban talked about it after the game. I think it maybe surprises some people to hear it, but this isn't a state offense, even with Mike Leach's reputation as an offensive guru that does much in terms of pre-snap motions and eye candy and things like that. So they give you a pretty set picture of what you're going to get pre-snap, which in today's football is a relief to a defense. You know, you can kind of see it for what it is. And uh, to use golf vernacular, I guess, no blind tee shots. You know the hole's right in front of you with this state offense. And so Alabama was really able to dictate more than what we've seen at any point this season. It feels like just about every game, at least for a stretch of games, offenses have dictated to this Alabama defense, right? Well, Alabama defensively uh, did all the dictating Saturday night. No doubt. I, and with regard to the to the three-man rush, which, which we saw a little bit of, I'm from the Kirby Smart school on the three-man rush, Travis, and Kirby Smart pretty much will tell you the three-man rush shouldn't exist. He he thinks it's a he thinks it's a waste, and I've always tended to agree with that because quarterbacks are too good. You rush three, you drop eight, you give them enough time, they'll pick you apart eventually. However, I've got to admit, I thought the three-man rush was fairly effective for Alabama. As a matter of fact, on Jordan Battle's pick six, that was a three-man rush. So they they had some uh, they they de they definitely threw Will Rogers off here and there dropping eight. I I just I guess I I guess I don't know if that would fly against a better quarterback. Yeah, and you know Alabama is able to play more zone or willing to play more zone than probably they have been in the last ten or fifteen years and. Formula sim similar to what they used a year ago against State and Tuscaloosa. Although Nick, after the game, mentioned that they had put in a new cover three uh, look for this game with what he called a thief coverage, which I guess freed up Jordan Battle on those two interceptions. So made some adjustments whenever you can get pressure with different fronts and different looks. And, you know, we wondered too about the other outside linebacker position. Well, it really wasn't a factor in the game because they went with a three-man front for most of the game that had two defensive linemen and Will Anderson at the other end, opened the game with LeBron Ray at an end, Fedarian Mathis at the nose, walked up Christian Harris from time to time on an edge, um, did some different things with their personnel uh, that allowed them to keep probably their very best options 
from a personnel perspective on the field together throughout the game. Pretty big night for Henry Toa Toa. He's had some quiet games of late. This was not one of them. I think he ended up with 12 or 13 tackles. Travis threw in a sack as well. Uh, good to see the transfer that active and that involved. Most tackles he's had in a game as a college player since his last game at Tennessee against Texas A&M last season. And this was a space game. We had talked about it, Chase. And, you know, let's be honest, Henry Toa Toa and Christian Harris, for that matter, they're not thumpers. You know, they're not base inside linebackers against uh, power running games. That's not where they're going to be at their best. So, you would think this is the type of opponent that they would be successful against. And yeah, Henry with 13 tackles, his first sack as a member of the Crimson Tide in the game. He came into the game with just one and a half tackles for loss through six games. He doubled his season total with one and a half on Saturday night. So yeah, good to see him pick it up. But every week, it seems like there's a little different style offensively that this defense faces. Uh, probably will be some of that next week with Tennessee. Uh, but again, maybe more so along the lines of another running type quarterback. That was a benefit to Alabama Saturday night too. You didn't have to worry about where were you going to find Will Rogers, right? You knew where he was going to be. Hendon Hooker, assuming he's healthy this week, and even if it's Joe Milton for Tennessee, they're going to threaten you with their legs. Will Rogers, I thought, showed a lot of guts too, Travis. Hurt his shoulder during the game. You could see him warming up on the sideline before he went back in, kind of wincing and and holding it. And you know, to look at him, you'd have thought this guy doesn't belong on the field. But not only did he keep going back out there, he kept making some pretty good throws. And look, he, he, he ended up throwing three picks. He, he didn't play great. Uh, but even after he got hurt, he went out there, he competed, and, and he made a, at least a few big-time throws post-injury. Tough dude. And it looked like that he hurt the right shoulder on the sack by Christian Harris and Brian right. Branch. But, you know, he took a big shot from Jordan Battle as Battle was going into the end zone on that interception return for a touchdown. So could have been a little bit of both, although I think the, the former probably had more to do it. Tough for Will Rogers. He's thrown two touchdown passes in games against Alabama the last two years, Chase. The problem is both of them have gone for Alabama touchdowns. <laughs> Patrick Sertan had a pick six last year of Will Rogers, and then um, and then uh, Battle does it to him on Saturday night. Three more interceptions against Alabama. He's yet to throw a touchdown pass, and um, you know and. State has nice receivers. I mean, Jaden Wally has put up some big numbers, but he's a slot guy. Ultimately, if they can't get a pretty good bit of production, though, again, out of those backs, specifically in the passing game, it's going to be tough. A lot, of, a lot of Dallas Turner again in this game, Travis. Do, do you have a sense, as I do, that, that it, it certainly looks like it's more of Turner's job right now while Alabama awaits the return of Drew Sanders as opposed to a, a, a Turner-Braswell platoon? Yeah, it's going to be interesting this week to see exactly where Drew Sanders is at because last week Saban said that Sanders is back on the practice field, but he hadn't reached a point yet where he had been cleared. So in terms of what makes the most sense, maybe getting through Tennessee, 
getting to the bye week, which gets him another week before you face LSU in early November, might make the most sensible return target date for Drew Sanders. So I think it's going to be a continuation. And, you know, again, we did see LeBron Ray get a start at one defensive end, but I think Tennessee is going to demand more of that four-man front with Will Anderson at one of those spots. Uh, maybe it is Dallas Turner at the other spot because you know, they can run the football, Tennessee can. So you're going to have to be stout in that front seven to deal with that Tennessee run game. And again, Hendon Hooker, the quarterback, is has been really good in that regard here in the last month or so. The Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer with you. And we're going to thank a couple of sponsors here quickly. We're going to start by telling you a little bit about North River Dental Associates. Now, Dr. Jack Smalley, a former Alabama football player, has an outstanding practice here in the Tuscaloosa area, 1100 Fairfax Park, easily located for all your dental needs, all of your family's dental needs. Go to North River Dental Associates. Great service. A great group of professional dental hygienists. They'll take care of you. They're easy on you with those tools that nobody likes. They'll take care of you with the insurance folks. You're going to be in and out of there typically in under an hour on a routine cleaning. Teeth whitening services there are always popular as well. And don't forget, they're now taking care of you with Botox and Juvederm treatments. If you'd like to tighten up those facial features, get on over to North River Dental Associates. Phone number over there, 752-3506, or visit NorthRiverDentist.com. I'm going to tell you about Peter Brook Chocolatier, also located in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, coming off a great weekend, and it was made even better by some of that chocolate popcorn. Those chocolate strawberries are never a bad idea either, but that chocolate popcorn right there, I got mine good bread with the dark chocolate on it, but you can get the classic milk chocolate on that popcorn. You can get white chocolate, custom ordered for you there at Peterbrook Chocolates here, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section, Tuscaloosa. You got Halloween coming up. You've got a big stretch of Alabama home football games. So that means tailgating goodies. You're going to want to get by Peterbrook Chocolatier for those as well. Peterbrook Chocolatier, the champions of chocolate. Finally, going to tell you about our corporate sponsor, and that would be DraftKings. Another week of NFL action in the books at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on an NFL game this week at DraftKings and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. That's the Pigskin Podcast Network acronym. Throw down a dollar on any NFL game, win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. Once again, that's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting Podna of the Podna. National Football League. And Travis will close things out, as we always do, with a look around the SEC. And I guess we got to turn our attention to Baton Rouge and the latest coming out of there, announced uh, just in the last hour or two before you and I launched this particular podcast that LSU is going to be 
parting ways with Ed Orgeron at the end of the season. What a quick crash for, oh, Travis, just to go from national champs and, and arguably the best college football team I've ever seen in 2019 to not even being able to get through 2021. You know, you wondered at the completion of that, as you said, historic 2019 season for LSU. Okay, now let's see how O and LSU go about sustaining this deal. Because fair or not, the standard is Nick Saban. And that resonates, obviously, with LSU people uh, because Saban has done it, sustained greatness, sustained a dynastic level of play for, well, a decade and a half now at Alabama. And it's rare. If, if it wasn't, there'd be more folks doing it. Look at the struggles that even Clemson's having this year with Dabo Sweeney, as great as they've been here in the last seven or eight years. So I uh, didn't think it would be this quick, not with the way LSU's able to recruit. And that doesn't seem to have been as much of a problem, but you've had the peripheral issues, Title IX, NCAA, I think all these things come together. And yes, the on the field performance, as I know O alluded to in his love letter to the LSU fan base Sunday night, stuck with was a big part of that or the focal point of that. But there's other stuff that LSU is also dealing with that we'll see. Maybe O is in the middle of it. Maybe it'll prove that he isn't. Uh, but there is just so much noise right now, even with the win over Florida Saturday. Sounds like this had been in the works. And look, oh, by doing this now, guarantees he walks away with, what, $18 million? If he doesn't do this now and you end up with some with cause scenarios, right? It, there's a gamble here if O doesn't go ahead, right? And, and sort of go off into the sunset. Yeah, the, the public stance from LSU in their statement obviously mentions on-field performance only as the driver of this decision, but right. I'm with you. I, I, I can't help but think that some of these off-field issues, Title IX, et cetera, could have played a, some kind of a role. Uh, it, it, it had to have been part of the consideration. I don't think there's any doubt about it, uh, and we'll see where all that leads. But, yeah, I think, I think it's actually – I think the buyout for Ed is going to be a little bit north of 16 million, yeah. uh, close enough to 18. And it's going to be paid in 18 installments through 2025. Smallest payment of those 18 payments, Travis, will be 420K. And the largest will be about 5.6 mil. Mm -hmm. uh, and Ed O's quote was, I think I'll have enough money to buy a hamburger. He said. <laughs> R12. Yeah, O's going to be fine. O's probably going to just uh, hunker down and say, like, Destin, you know, somewhere yeah. in that area on the Gulf Coast. He'll jog with his shirt off every day, you know, through 30A and all that area. Make the 55-year-old divorcee swoon as he goes through. Yeah. And then there'll be that occasional event that it apparently is a part of his separation agreement that he must attend some LSU events on an annual basis. They'll send the jet for him, scoop him up, take him to New Orleans, wherever he wants to go, wherever the events are. It's it's going to be beautiful for O. And then all this crap's going to blow over. And then in two years, you know, maybe he's the head coach at 
University of Louisiana. You know, maybe he's in Lafayette or somewhere. O is a survivor. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I, I don't think we've seen the last of him as a coach unless this Title IX and this NCAA stuff uh, really proves uh, combustible. If I was a hot shot college coach, I would tell Jimmy Sexton, who would be my agent if I were a hot shot coach, <laughs> that I want my buyout payments fat up front and light on the back end instead of the other way around. And I don't know what Edo's buyout structure looks like, but assuming that it's like any other and that there's offset language in there to where LSU doesn't have to pay the buyout if he gets another job somewhere else and offsets that money, uh, if I'm Edo, Give me five point. Give me the five million dollar buyout payment up front while I'm taking a year off or two. Right, and then yeah. as those payments descend, that that's that's when I'll go sign up and coach somewhere else. Right. I think part of the separation agreement is that he cannot coach in the SEC for a eighteen months. Mm -hmm. So I would not be coaching football at all in twenty twenty three. If I was Ed Orgeron, I just, or 2022, excuse me, I'd sit that baby out and uh, let the sort of recycling nature of coaches run its course. And who knows where he might be in 2023. Only Ed O getting canned, Travis, could render what happened to Lane Kiffin to second fiddle status on our <laughs> run through the SEC this weekend. Uh, Ole Miss gets it done. On the road in Knoxville, 31-26, the final score. In the final minute of the game, roughly minute of the game, Travis, yeah. uh, I, I think very, very nearly just got canceled when the Ole Miss sideline was pelted with just... debris from the Tennessee fans, golf balls, yeah. water bottles, you name it. Bad enough that the Ole Miss bench had to just vacate and come onto the field. Right. Uh, uh, it, it was an ugly scene. Yeah, I thought they should have just ended the game. I mean, I know it would have robbed us of a pretty exciting ending that we ended up having once they resumed action. But once it gets to that extent, you just, to me, you just, that's it. You know, and we're, we're, we're going, uh, we're going to call it a night, but, um, you know, Lane Kiffin loved it though. He kept I mean, the golf Lane ball. Kiffin loved, oh, guy, absolutely I'll loved Take it to the it. press conference. Oh, Lane couldn't get enough of that. So, um, interesting, isn't it, that we get LSU and Ole Miss this week with everything that's happened between those teams, right. both coming off wins and so much a part of the the news cycle here in the last 24 to 48 hours. But um, impressive game. It was a fun game uh, until you had the situation. And uh, in some ways, a little bit reminiscent of 2007 in Tuscaloosa. Remember when Georgia hit that game-winning touchdown pass? Matthew Stafford in the corner there. And the student section just rained down cups yes. and stuff. Uh, yes. But nowhere near what we saw in Knoxville Saturday night. Nowhere near what we saw in Knoxville Saturday night, although although not far <laughs> was that 07 game. 07 had them, didn't it? That was great, yeah. man. That yeah. was fantastic. You and I were six feet away from Shea Hodge when he went up and Randy Moss to Lionel Mitchell for this for this 41-yard grab from Seth Adams along the sideline. Yeah. And uh, it, it, was, it was a play that was – I mean, Ole Miss was in business to win that game with that catch and – I can't remember which team was standing on the sideline that we were on. We were but... on the uh, we were on the Alabama sideline. Okay, well there you yeah. have it. Because I guess 
Nick Saban noticed, hey, this this guy, out of bounds. Shea Hodge, took a step on the sideline on his way along the way of the route. And as we know, Travis, after that, when that when that catch got, got reversed, <laughs> uh, the student section started testing their arms with anything within reach. They absolutely did. I uh, distinctly recall, as you do, a pair of red high heels sailing from <laughs> the student down. section. Right through the uprights. I mean, couldn't have split the uprights any better. Yeah. Would have been good through a tuning fork. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) A lot of fun. A lot of fun, no doubt about it. That is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. Be sure to join us midweek on Wednesday night. Travis and I will be back once again to break down Alabama's upcoming game against the Tennessee volunteers until then for travis ryer of BamaOnline.com, i am chase goodbread of nfl.com and crimson cover and we'll talk to you in a few days here on talking tide